0: Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and anywhere else you get your podcasts.
1: We begin today's meditation
0: with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way.
1: So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. Ah. <sighs> Hey, everybody, welcome to this edition of The Charlie Kirk Show. You are going to love my exclusive conversation with Michael Knowles. And later in the week, we are going to be taking your questions. You email us freedom at charliekirk.com, freedom at charliekirk.com. Michael Knowles is at the Daily Wire. Uh, I run Turning Point USA and The Charlie Kirk Show, as you know. And we both are so into our numbers. Successful companies know. That in order to grow faster, you must have the right tools. If you want to take your company from 2 million to 10 million or 10 million to hundreds of millions in revenue, NetSuite by Oracle gives you the tools to turbocharge your growth. With NetSuite, you get a full picture of your business, finance, inventory, HR, customers, and more. It's everything you need to grow, all in one place, right from your phone or computer. NetSuite will give you the visibility and control you need to make the right decisions and grow with confidence. That's why NetSuite customers grow faster than the S and P 500. That's an amazing statistic. NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system trusted by more than 19,000 companies. It's the last system you'll ever need. NetSuite, business grows here. Schedule your free product tour right now and receive your free guide, six ways to run a more profitable business at netsuite.com slash Kirk. That's netsuite.com slash Kirk, netsuite.com slash Kirk. You guys are going to love this show. And again, make sure you're subscribed to the Charlie Kirk Show. I know you hear me talk about this a lot, but let's keep those five stars pouring in. Type in Charlie Kirk Show, hit subscribe, email us, freedom charliekirk.com. Buckle up, everybody. You are going to love this conversation. With Michael Knowles, here we go. Charlie, what you've done is incredible here. Maybe Charlie Kirk is on the college campus. I
0: want you to know we are lucky to have Charlie Kirk.
1: Charlie Kirk's running the White House, folks. I want to thank Charlie. He's an incredible guy. His spirit, his love of this country, he's done an amazing job building one of the most powerful youth organizations ever created, Turning Point USA. We will not embrace the ideas that have destroyed countries, destroyed lives, and we are going to fight for freedom on campuses across the country. That's why we are here. All right, everybody. Uh, I am joined by my friend, uh, Michael Knowles. Michael Knowles, welcome to the Charlie Kirk Show. Well, thank you so much, Charlie. And I
0: would uh, also like to welcome you, Charlie Kirk, to the Michael Knowles Show.
1: Well, so we were going to do this in person, but social distancing. (laughs) uh, So we are on different sides of the same hemisphere. Actually, I'm in Arizona, not too far from you. Uh, Charlie, I got
0: to say, this this is probably the longest you've ever stayed in one place, maybe your entire life,
1: definitely in the last few years. Oh no! I, I actually did the calculations. This is the longest time I have not been in an airplane since high school. So, and <laughs> no, seriously, it's been eight years since I've actually been in one place this long. And now I'm starting to understand like, what normal non-traveling people do: like watch <laughs> Netflix and like, go to bed at reasonable yeah, hours, get and regular hours of sleep. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah precisely. That's nice of that. Exactly. Yeah, so, but how are you holding up in uh, this existential crisis?
0: You know, it's so frustrating here in LA because the trouble is every politician wants to one up every other politician. So, right, President Trump taking the virus very seriously. So, as a result of that, uh, Gavin Newsom's going to take it seriously, governor of California. So, he's going to institute some regulations. Then, Eric Garcetti the mayor of Los Angeles. He takes it even more seriously, orders a lockdown, all the businesses to shut down. One hour later, Newsom's not going to be one-upped. He orders it across the whole state. Then Trump extends it. He's not going to be one-upped. Garcetti is going to extend it for two months. I mean, at the rate that we're going, we are never going to reopen Los Angeles ever again, which frankly might be good for the United States.
1: Maybe, but I guess you're holding up fine. It seems like the Daily Wire is continually putting out very good content and thank uh, you you uh, know fortunately
0: fortunately um, uh, newsom said that podcasts are an essential service which i might dispute but look i'm happy to go along with that
1: so so here's the loophole that every single restaurant needs to just start a podcast and
0: (laughs) that's a great idea
1: Wow. as in an no, you seriously as in a, it, it goes back to this old story of how how silly government regulations are and how you can have unintended consequences one of my favorite stories i always use and you could steal it michael because i yeah. stole it from somebody else it was this old regulation in india where they had a snake problem you ever hear the story ever hear the story before I, I don't back don't in think the 1800s so. yeah they had a huge snake problem so the british uh, colonialists came in and they said, All right, we have this huge snake problem here 's how we 're going to solve the snake problem we 're going to pay the Indians for every snake that they kill and bring in to uh, the central authority or to their you know regional capital so you know enterprising indians said hey why don't we just start snake farms and start to yeah. you know repopulate the snake population and we kill them all and then we'll go bring them to the capital so then all of a sudden snake farms became like a cottage industry and they actually weren't killing the indigenous <laughs> snakes so you know for all these government regulations and all these government rules there's always unintended consequences so well we just um, we just
0: got this big uh, big government regulation relief bailout stimulus I mean, we're talking about $2 trillion. When you look at what it's levered up to be, it's basically $6 trillion. Something tells me you're not thrilled about that. I don't want to speak for you, but that's
1: a lot of stimulus. No, uh, look, I'm a huge supporter of the president. He was put up against a wall to sign this thing, and he got some really good things in it, and there's just some awful stuff in it. And I'm not alone in this critique. Sean Hannity, Mark Levin, and others have have talked about this. Look, here's the essence of it is... I'm a deficit hawk, and I'm a debt hawk, and I'm not comfortable posting a trillion-dollar deficit, let alone a $3.84 trillion deficit. So let's just start with that. And there is some absolute garbage in this bill, Michael. I mean, just... I mean, for example, let's just start with the basics of the National Public Radio and PBS, which are basically anti-Trump, anti-West, anti-American megaphones that are now getting another $75 million on top of the appropriations that we're already giving them. Well, the the irony about
0: this, NPR now doesn't even want to carry President Trump's press conferences to update the public on the coronavirus, and yet they're receiving money through the coronavirus relief package.
1: On top of it. So they got a corona bonus. And so (laughs) that's $350 million for migrant resettlement. Um, So basically, we're going to fund illegal immigrant resettlement, or it wasn't really clear what that was, but it's basically a slush fund for the reappropriation of foreign nationals into our country. The unemployment provisions are awful in this entire bill. The whole idea yeah, of it's unemployment is that it's supposed to be a safety net, not a hammock. So you could conceivably, and you actually will, earn more money on unemployment than actually doing your job if you had a job. The best part of the bill, I will give some compliment, is the payroll protection part we are actually going to pay businesses to keep employees on their payroll. Uh, they're probably yeah. going to extend that. That's only $50 billion dollars though of the 6 trillion dollars. The other part that I'm not enthused about and I did a whole podcast on, I say all this by the way as an unequivocal Trump supporter, understanding he has to do this politically, he has to he ha, he is he was put up against the wall by US Congress, he has to do this. But I'm also going to just, you know, share my critiques as I see them. I'm not a big fan of bailing out Fortune 100 companies, uh, especially companies that have billions of dollars in cash and com- and can collateralize their assets when interest rates are super low. So if interest rates are like ten or eleven percent, I get the whole argument against borrowing money, uh, sort of. But interest rates are as low as they've ever been. Why can't these companies go borrow money in the private market and then come to the federal government as the last resort? It seems like it was the other way around. Like let's go to the let's go to the federal government for basically cheap loans or bailouts or subsidized packages. I I don't like that. I think Boeing. Do, do you
0: not w- think? I mean, it just seems to me of all the there's a lot of stuff in this bill that I hate, but of all of it, the part I actually like are these, these loan programs from the Small Business Administration, and then in particular the $500 billion loan program that be, that then the, the Federal Reserve will
1: lever up and turn into $4 trillion in money. Wow. Hold on. Well, hold on a second. First of all, the, I don't trust the Fed as it is. Second of all, the SBA okay. is widely, by anyone who's dealt in small business, no one likes the SBA. No one's excited sure, about yeah. with the SBA. And there's going to be so much waste, fraud, and abuse in this entire package. I absolutely guarantee it. Now, sure, if, small business gets, if small business gets actual relief and this money flows, maybe. With currently no NBA, NHL, or Major League Baseball action, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, BetOnline, still has hundreds of sports, events, and games to wager on. Or let them bring Vegas to you with their online casino and blackjack. All open 24 hours a day and all online, including their $750,000 poker series. If you are into props and entertainment betting, you can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the weather. Visit the website or use the mobile device and join today and receive a 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. A lot of fun, guys. People say they love this. So you guys got to understand what Bet Online does. They're your online wagering solution. Visit our good friends and exclusive partner at Podcast One, Bet online to take advantage of the best bonuses in the business. Sign up for a free account and make sure to use that promo code Podcast One for your 100% sign-up bonus. Visit BetOnline.ag and don't forget that promo code Podcast One for your 100% sign-up bonus. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. So you heard this probably, Michael, in the last couple of weeks. I'm a private sector first guy, government last guy. And so you probably heard that banks are as well capitalized as I've ever been. So why aren't J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, and some of these other banks opening up for small business loan emergency relief assistance right now? before the federal government comes in. The federal government should be a backstop against the private loans if they're over-levering themselves to actually help out this small business that might be in need. I don't like the idea of opening the United States Treasury in a merger with the Fed, which can create money at will, by the way. We are going to see some form of inflation. It's impossible not to see some form of inflation with what they're doing right now. It's impossible. But taking the small business thing aside, okay, $350 billion, a lot of that will do some good. A lot of that will also be misallocated, waste, fraud, and abuse. Let's let's focus on the big crony capitalist part of this, though. The small business owner right now that has to wait weeks to get this money from the SBA, from Joplin, Missouri, or from Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, or from Tallahassee, Florida, they're not going to get the sweetheart deal that the big airlines and the airline manufacturers got. They're just not. I mean, the, the deals that they have, that Boeing and American Airlines and United and Delta got are pretty incredible. And right now, United Airlines conveniently said after the bill was signed, they're going to let people off. They're gonna they're gonna furlough workers. Right, like hold right. on a second. I thought the reason we gave you access to taxpayer money is not to furlough workers. And so look, I, I say this again with honest critiques of the bill, not a critique of the president. The president comes at it from. A good position of wanting to do what's best for the country, and also being put up against a political impossibility. I, though, as someone who does not believe in Keynesian economics, who does not believe in demand restributionism which goes to my biggest critique of the whole bill. This free cash for people is nonsense. I, 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 yeah, Andrew this, Yang this lost the battle but won the war. Yeah, yeah So yeah. go ahead. I, I, I. I I'm no, no, no. Please, two, so on, tell me. Th- This, this is <laughs> no. my big problem with it. Yeah, I mean, look, it's not stimulative, and so maybe there's an argument to, me, to be said. Like, okay, some people need access to short term capital. Totally get that. I, I'm not discounting it. And by the way, I, even as a free market capitalist, I think payday lending is awful and disgusting. I think people that run payday lending and do these like 18 to 20 percent, 20 percent interest rates, I think that is engaging in usury and it's awful. it's a little I, I think exploitative. It's just, it's, yeah, yeah, it, it is. So I, I get the whole idea of opening up capital for people that need it. So why didn't they do this? They say, okay. There's an optional interest-free two two-year bridge loan for individuals and families, three to five thousand dollars if you need it. Why are they giving people money if even if they don't want it or need it, not applying right. for it? Like th- right. That's what's, this perplex- is, this is that's what's perplexing problem. to me. Yeah, yeah, so yeah this is the big I'll- problem
0: because because you know the issue here is the most politically you know give it all most populist. Uh, uh, provision of this bill is sending people checks for 1200 or 2400 even more money. But its I, I agree with you. It, there's no evidence that this is going to stimulate the economy in particular. By the way, if this thing drags on for what? It's going to drag on for another 30 days now. How far no, is $1,200 going to get you? And they're probably going to extend it after that. So that part yeah. I really don't like. Uh, but I, I i find myself in the least politically popular position where I'm actually defending a lot of the uh, business loans and, and even the airlines in this because you're in this position where It's not like a normal financial crisis that's cyclical, that is often caused by decisions made by the financial institutions or made by the airlines. You're in this, I guess, unprecedented position where the state governments and the federal government are forcing these businesses to shut down. And even with the airlines, who drive me crazy, you know, when you look at their cash on hand, I think, uh, now who knows if they're reporting accurately, but as of last week, United and American are reporting, respectively, I think $6 billion cash on hand and $4 billion cash on hand. Plus, they mm-hmm. obviously have a little bit in the way of credit. But it, the trouble for them is they they sell their airline tickets so far in advance in the year because people are buying summer vacations, for instance, that now they, you know, usually they recoup people canceling trips with those fees, but they can't charge the fees now during the pandemic. So they could see that cash disappear overnight. You know, it, it, I, I hate to defend big airlines. I hate flying American as much as any, any, you know, mode of travel, but it, you, you don't want to get into a position. Where you've got basically a liquidity crisis, a crisis of just not having enough cash to turn into well, a broader financial crisis,
1: right? But, but we, don't, we don't have a liquidity crisis. The Fed is pumping in money, so the, the problem right, is not right. that. So th- if they want to borrow, go borrow. I mean, go to Barclays and open up a three hundred billion dollar line of credit. I mean, they, they, did they even per, did they even explore the private market, or is their first stop to get on their private planes and go to Washington D.C.? They probably didn't well, fly their own the airline fastest way to do go it, lobby right? for the airline. By the You're way, right. the greatest irony is some journalists should find out if these airline CEOs even flew their own airline to go lobby for their airline. Yeah. Seriously, <laughs> that would be great. they might have they might have flown the private division of it. You know, no, I I, 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 I kid you not. I guarantee I, I don't <laughs> guarantee you, but I, d- dime on a dollar that the United, Delta, and American Airline CEOs that didn't even find their own dang airline to go lobby right. for their own yeah. airline. By the way, I don't want to see flight attendants or people disenfranchised. However, yeah, yeah. I don't want sweetheart deals. I don't want people that are able to have access to proximity to power to be rewarded more than others. Am I naive? Of course not. That's going to happen. I want to yeah. limit that from happening. But here's the problem: is we don't have a liquidity problem. The Fed is pumping in money at record rates. I don't like that. I don't like that either. By the way, I don't like the idea of just instinctively going straight to the money supply and destroying middle America's purchasing power because inflation is a tax. But
0: you're, but but you're, presumably. You're, you're, At a certain point, you know, it's not like it's just putting the money out there. It'll never come back. I mean, the the reason the Fed is levering up the 450 billion is presumably on the bet that a lot of at least most of that
1: money is going to come back into the Federal Reserve at some point. Maybe. We'll see. I mean, again, the question is how much depreciation of a middle America's purchasing power is going to happen right yeah, now. Yeah, so, that's a fear. Look, sure. In- inflation does not affect the elites. It doesn't. Inflation actually helps the elites. It helps landowners, people that own a lot of stocks and bonds. Now, the argument would be, well, pensioners and people own stocks and bonds totally. But the purchasing power of the single mother right now in Kansas City. Right. Kansas City, Missouri. By the way, not Kansas City. Kansas. I got that. <laughs> That's I've me confused. Like, I've, right. got, I've gotten that screwed up many times. Kansas City, Missouri. The single mother right now, who's dealing in cash, right? Who might be cleaning hotel rooms or might be doing minimum wage jobs. Her purchasing power is going to go down dramatically with the infusion of capital. I, look, I got my political upbringing in the 2010-2011 post-financial crisis. You know, yeah. and I, I'm I'm of the opinion to be super hesitant with big, massive government intrusions of capital and liquidity at any point, at any time. And I, I say, why don't we first go to the private markets and also try to diagnose what's actually the issue here? The issue, But, is but that isn't that secure? the fear?
0: Because I, I I share your concern. I hate going to the government as the first resort. But there is a, a fear on time here, right? I mean, you've got something that is is a completely contrived crisis from the government. And you, you don't want to get into a position where business owners, who maybe they have one or two weeks cash flow, that they've got to sell their businesses or sell their property for pennies on the dollar because they don't have the cash to keep it around. I mean, that that doesn't seem very fair.
1: Well, precisely, but look, again, I agree in some sense, but that keeping the liquidity going on the fed is necessary whether or yeah. not it's a good long-term economic decision is debatable and i would probably say no but the the argument is this is but michael we have deincentivized saving because we've lowered interest rates right, right? so right. why do yep. why yeah. do business owners only have one or two weeks cash on hand because we've incentivized that by pumping in cheap money and not incentivizing saving right well, so well, certainly so on we, the personal we, personal front yeah no, of course. But also, I mean, but a lot of small business owners run the personal through the business, right? There's very right, little, yeah. d- they, they run S-corps, they run C-corps straight to their own personal. Yeah, that's right? true. So there's yeah. very little, there's very little difference between it. So here's my, here's my big argument is it, my, my big question about the stimulus bill is why 2 trillion? Why couldn't this be done in a couple hundred billion dollar increments? Now the president right. did make a good yeah. argument. Let's go all big at once. Let's use a bazooka. But we as conservatives went yeah. after the other administration when they passed $800 billion of stimulus relief back in 2009, right? And no, by the I, way, I see one your
0: point, th- Charlie, but the, 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 re- the only reason I push back on this a little bit is because I do think the two crises are fundamentally different. You know, the, in 2009, you had these financial institutions basically playing without the ability to lose. You know, they knew that if they won, they'd get to fly in their private jets. They knew if they lost, the government would bail them out. Whereas in this case, really, it was nobody's How fault other different than China. for Boeing?
1: How's that different than Boeing? Because the government told Boeing to shut down.
0: Well, listen, I'm not defending Boeing because Boeing has structural problems, too. But I mean, in this particular case, it wasn't Boeing's decision to shut down the global economy. It wasn't Delta's decision. And so just I I agree that I'm fearful of crony capitalism, but it does seem like a different situation.
1: So your argument is basically that government has created this crisis, but government didn't create the 08 crisis. No, government
0: played a role in the 08 crisis, but there was also corporate responsibility there as well
1: sure but my argument is government created both crises and so uber yeah but but not solely either.
0: right it solely well, created I, this crisis but it didn't solely create the last crisis
1: well careful people that are correctly managed fiscally people that saved prudently they're being those on they're being penalized right what about the companies that are super well capitalized let's take uber technologies uber yeah. has enough yeah, cash yeah. flow for the next 18 months yep how are they yeah, going to get true. rewarded how is this going to incentivize saving in the future Why do these companies be levered up to the sky? Maybe they should be not going through mergers and acquisitions every 18 months. So to your point, to kind of just kind of push back a little bit, and this is more of the not fundamentalist free market argument, but just kind of more of that school of thought. Shouldn't we also be praising as much as criticizing? So there are companies like Uber Technologies, the CEO says, yeah, we got enough cash for the next 18 months. We are going to ride this thing out. And their stock went up. Like people say, wow! I have confidence in that stock. Apple, for example, their stock is up tremendously in the last couple of days, despite oh, yeah, they've got more money than issues. anybody. Right, but so the question is from when? From a corporate governance standpoint, we have actually we don't build companies anymore. We build deals. Big difference, right? So right. we build deals that help reward the merger and acquisition firms, reward the firms like Goldman Sachs that they get their bonuses, they get their one-off deals. But the question is, we should be building multi-generation companies like we used to when Jack Welch was CEO of General Electric, not when Jeffrey Immelt was CEO of General Electric. Right. Jack Welch right. built a company that was profitable, with low debt, that rewarded their employees. Like when Henry Ford II built Ford back in the 50s, yeah. not built Ford, but he ex- expanded Ford and yeah. diversified it. He was a hawk against debt in a lot of different ways. So here's my question, Michael, is, is this new fiscal stimulus only going to continue to reward that kind of fiscal mismanagement? Well, it's it only c- it continue could. It could.
0: Yeah, it yeah, certainly could. And, although, I, you know, one one issue here is, I mean, good, good on Uber and good on Apple for having a ton of cash. But we I don't think we can expect businesses to have 18 months worth worth of cash flow without laying off workers. I mean, in, particularly in the case of Uber, they don't need to worry about a huge uh, em, employee resource because it's a gig. No, economy. I,
1: I think that's I think that's perfectly fair. I, I just I'm just trying to what I was a little bit disappointed with, Michael, as being a huge Trump supporter, by the way. And I yeah. support him signing this bill because he has no choice. He has, he has no, no choice. choice. He has He's up the against gold. the wall had, for sure. Right. He has, to, he has to take the good with the bad and we got to do action. I get that. The presidency is different than Congress, though. Right. Yeah. Congress, especially the Senate, is supposed to be a deliberative body. That's where my critique is. Right. Where is the deliberation over this? Where were the conservative dissenting voices that were talking about the lessons learned post 2008? The lessons learned post failure of yeah. fiscal stimulus in 2009 and 2010? Right, And also, you could have done this piecemeal. The other part of this, and I know, Michael, you don't support any of this, though, but $25 million for the Kennedy Center? That's a joke. Oh, right? oh my gosh. It's outrageous. It's beyond outrageous, not to mention $250 million to the Treasury so they can get the free cash for people. And so, look. I'm not a fan of UBI. I'm not a fan of demand-side distribution yeah, distributionism. Yeah. It's garbage. It's nonsense. It's bad economics. It pets bad incentives. It's also not stimulative. I mean, I took an yeah. unscientific survey here at the Turning Point USA headquarters of our young employees of what they're going to spend their money on. Most yeah. of them are going to pay down de- debt. So basically, it's the opposite of stimulative, Right. right. <laughs> Sorry for coughing. I don't have corona, I promise. You better um, not. Luckily, no, we're at a
0: social no, distance, though. But it might come through no, the no, uh, the prompter. I don't know. But the TV. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah
1: I'm, I'm sure that if, if this, someone's going to propagandize the public. Did you know that you might be able to get, like, goodness gracious, you're going to see Zoom stock. It's going to be CNN. Yeah. But no, but I, look, good economics. Look, economics is the war against scarcity, right? And so, but he, here's the other question, and this is a super unpopular question. I, I think that there should be a federal law saying that adversaries of the United States should not be able to purchase assets of the country, such as China. So China should not, yeah. China and Chinese nationals should not be able to take advantage of the market going down right now. However, if American Airlines broke up, is that the worst thing in the world? Make no mistake, I, I, this, is not a, this is not a popular argument, but it might be an economically sound one. American Airlines just went on the most aggressive merger and acquisition campaign yeah. crusade over the last five or seven years. They bought U.S. airways. They bought, they bought everything they possibly could, and they levered themselves up. That might have been really, really good for their stock price. They bought back stocks, by the way, with the corporate tax cut that they got. Why are we now bailing out that bad behavior? Maybe if we went back when there was more airlines out there, maybe airlines would actually be more competitive. Right.
0: Well, and, I will but, say I'd be more than happy to let American Airlines in particular go out because they have horrible customer service. But you better not take away my bill, good delta. Them. I love that.
1: But this, bill, right. but this bill, this allows that is that the is that is that we are now calcifying the bigs and the uglies that will continue to borrow money recklessly. And by the way, if anyone out there thinks you've been treated nicely by the airline, of course, unless you I mean, Southwest people is the highest. I actually can't stand Southwest because I actually like to yeah. know what seat I have when yeah, I have. I know my seat. I feel like
0: I'm going to get trampled on Southwest when the people are
1: stampeding down the aisle to pick a seat. But by the way, people say, "Well, your bags fly free." I'm like, "Fine, your bags fly free." Yet it's some sort of social experiment in sp- <laughs> yeah. spatial conscientiousness to board the plane. I mean, I, it's, it's, as Dar- it's it's so unbelievably Darwinian. It's, it's so awful.
0: uncivilized.
1: And, yeah, it, it, it is. Are you guys suffering under student loan debt from the cartel of the colleges? Credible.com is an online marketplace that gets you pre-qualified student loan refinancing rates from up to 10 different lenders. Credible's goal is to help people get out of student loan debt. Who benefits? Well, if you've got a student loan debt, you could benefit. I'm telling you right now, they do a great job, so listen carefully. With everything that's going on in the economy, student loan refinancing rates are unbelievably low. With a lower rate, you could save on interest or lower your monthly payment, which means more money in your pocket. And with a shorter loan term, you could get debt-free faster. Consolidate all your student loan bills in one place. Credible customers have given awesome reviews about how much better their lives have been after refinancing their student loans. On Credible, you see actual pre-qualified rates from up to 10 different lenders, whereas with some other marketplaces, you'll get ranges of rates or ballpark estimates. It only takes a couple of minutes to check rates. Checking rates doesn't impact your credit. They never sell your data, so you won't receive spam and phone calls from dozens of lenders. Please visit right now, guys, to refinance. You'll love this. Credible.com slash Charlie. That's C-R-E-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash C-H-A-R-L-I-E. When you refinance your student loans using this link, you'll get a $200 free gift card, free cash, like Andrew Yang. Fill in a couple pieces of information to check out what rates you are eligible for. Again, this is Credible.com slash Charlie. Take advantage while rates are still low. Refinance your student loans and start saving. But to to, to close the point is that I I think that we jump the gun into a multi-trillion dollar stimulus that we know we can't afford, that will devalue the currency, where I would have liked to see much more. If we were going to do something, two things, payroll protection all for that. Yeah, Incentivize yeah, people sure. to stay on the rules. The unemployment stuff, garbage and nonsense. You're going to see a stickiness of people staying on the unemployment rules. Well, the Democrats put it
0: there intentionally. The reason they allowed those, the, the, I mean, this was, this was actually the one point where some senators, Lindsey Graham, Ted Cruz, and others fought back and said, wait a second, if you increase the unemployment this much, then you're actually disincentivizing employers from keeping the employees. You're, yes, you're incentivizing yes. the employees to stay off. And, and coincidentally they're incentivized to stop working just up through the november election how coincidental is that
1: well and so if if senator graham and the good guys like senator cruz and others said okay we are now going to demand an immediate bill after this bill fixing that but we're going to vote for all the good stuff that, but I don't see that, Michael. I'm not seeing yeah. the action to fix that. We are going to have a stickiness to unemployment that is destructive to the core right. fabric of the labor market in America, where we're going to subsidize and incentivize people yep. to not work. That's not good. Right. And um, that's a big, you and know, the so, big
0: issue here, too. You, you had the Senate vote unanimously. I mean, it was nine, 96 to nothing. And at least we know, we know all of the people who voted for that. But when you look at the House... They refused to take a recorded vote. These guys were so afraid of being on the record that they, they wouldn't take a recorded vote. So now any of them can take pot shots at the bill, but we don't know. They very well may have voted for it because leadership told them to. Yeah,
1: I, I don't like this whole idea that also we're not recording uh, wh- how people <laughs> right. stand on bill. I mean, wh- wh- what is this? I mean, so, that's, yeah. that's nonsense. I, I, and they're already talking about another stimulus. And look, here's the long and short of it is that middle America, real small business relief, the best stimulus they could have, Michael, is the green light to go back to work. Of course, I mean, that's what they want. And, and so I understand it's not that simple. And I understand there's you know, all sorts of competing data and all that sort of stuff. I, however, I am of the opinion, like, hey, posting a $4 trillion deficit, yeah. that should be something that should be deliberated so thoughtfully and critiqued so carefully, yeah. not jammed through and passed in what I consider with the, some of the most egregious waste that I've seen in a bill in the history of the U.S. Congress. And, and you
0: know, what's so scary here for conservatives is the precedent. Because, listen, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm fairly amenable to the bill. I can get behind a lot of aspects of it. But the the sticking point
1: you're, for me... You're more amenable than me, but I know, I'm, I'm probably point, so. more amenable
0: to it than you are. But, but the sticking point for me is we are now setting the precedent of the government on a massive scale sending direct checks to people... Because of a time of crisis. Well, look, maybe this is a real, maybe this is a serious crisis, at least an economic well, one. But what about so, the next time?
1: Yeah, so, but Michael, I mean, Medicare for all costs $32 trillion, but not $32 trillion a year. That's that right. Number, that number that Bernie said was over 10 years. So That's now right. we've set a precedent that $3 trillion yep. a year for Medicare for all is not that much. Yep, In I fact, know. it's perfectly affordable. But UBI, why not do it every quarter? Why, why not every month? And now, now the again the, the smart Alex that always come in my you know podcast feed are going to say, "Well, Charlie, that's a slippery slope argument." Okay, well, first of all, I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm asking, I'm telling, I'm asking you the question: Why won't it happen? So, yeah. and I, I no, mean, no one has a thoughtful answer.
0: So, also, sorry. slippery slope arguments are good. People, people sometimes forget this because they say, "Oh, you're just talking about a slippery slope." Like, yeah, well, everything conservatives have been warning about on the slippery slope over the last thirty has years actually has come happened. True. Yeah. So I, you know, I'd like a little credit for the slippery slope. Thank you very much.
1: Well, it's, it's also, I mean, it's just using predictive logic. I mean, we know how the left operates. I right. mean, it's, it's not as if we don't have a blueprint of how the left is trying to use the state to, first of all, advance their own self-interest, to destroy our freedoms and liberties. Secondly, to try to do whatever they possibly can to destroy our culture and destroy the greatest country ever to exist in the history of the world. So right. yes, I mean, it's, it's an awful precedent. And I, I don't, again, I don't think there was the deliberation in the U.S. Congress that was needed and necessary to be thoughtful about what this could possibly do for the freedoms and liberties of others. And so here's the awful irony: this whole thing, Michael, yeah. is that what we should have done. Again, there's a lot of shoulda, coulda, haves, But why didn't we sell? Why didn't we sell coronavirus war bonds? Like, why didn't right. we go out and right. say, "No, I'm-, I'm not kidding." Yeah, no, it's a, it's a fair <laughs> suggestion. Yeah. So, but here's the argument for it. Why don't we go out and say, all right, here's a 3% interest rate higher than the T-bill, right? Yep. That's what they did under World War II, by the way. We did this under World War II, and it worked great. We are going to finance as much of these bills as we possibly can. We're going to open up coronavirus war bills, and we will not borrow a dollar from China to pay for the virus that China created for the multi-trillion dollars. You realize that we're borrowing money from China to try to, to solve the economic consequences of a virus that originated in China.
0: This is so, the trouble now, when, with free money, right? This is the trouble when your biggest adversary is your largest creditor.
1: Well, right, exactly. And we shouldn't, we shouldn't, buy, we shouldn't borrow any money from China. In fact, I could make an argument that the Fed right now should go buy all the debt from China and get them off the balance sheet completely. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I would make – by the way, if we're just going to be floating trillion-dollar coins around, that's a really good purchase right yeah. now is that the Fed should go buy all the Chinese debt immediately and get them off our balance sheet so there's no leverage there at all whatsoever. But wait
0: a second. Charlie, I just heard you float an outrageous conspiracy theory that this virus came from China. Is that what you're saying? You're saying the Chinese coronavirus came
1: from China? I I was one of the first, for the record, I was one of the first (laughs) people to call it the Chinese coronavirus, okay? (laughs) And actually, President Trump tweeted me early on, and I I was like loving my my feed of all these beautiful articles (laughs) from bloomberg donald trump upending world order by retweeting conservative activists oh my my god this is great but by (laughs) the way china's america's greatest enemy lying is a feature of their society i'll make a i'll make a differentiation the chinese communist party is different than the chinese people that's pretty that's pretty self-evident but i have to you know kind of say that the ccp they're a ruling tyrannical um uh, they're a ruling tyrannical dictatorship that needs to be blunted and thwarted and counterattacked. Uh, we need to hold them accountable. Uh, committees, tribunals, international—all that stuff is nonsense. We yeah. need to—we need to do something that is going to be so aggressive. That the ruling class of the CCP feels it so. Well, you, you uh, know why just, uh, you know
0: why it's uh, really counterproductive of productive anyway when you go through these international organizations. Is for the last decade China has been taking over the international organizations. Of course, people people keep wondering why the, the World Health Organization is lauding China and and touting the Chinese party line. It's because they installed their own patsy well, to head the WHO.
1: And I have some serious questions about our government, not our president, but our government. So I, I just found out that the CDC has a Chinese office. Did you know this? <laughs>
0: The I did CDC, not know that,
1: no. What the heck were they doing in January? yeah I mean, seriously. <laughs> They're just twiddling I their mean, thumbs, I think, you know? Eating uh, bat soup, CD- I don't know. I mean, what was this? the CDC here of a city called Wuhan? I mean, seriously, I mean, we had a whole month wow. where... We literally have people stationed in there to try to monitor infectious diseases. So look, here: China's got to pay. Here, here's some ways that we we have to make them pay. A permanent tariff put on by the entire world to China of 25% of all imports and exports uh, until they repatriate the entire global loss, which is multi-trillions of dollars. Recognize yeah. Taiwan immediately as a free and independent country. That'll really tick them off. Oh my <laughs> goodness, would that be wonderful. Uh, kick off all the Confucius Institutes of our country completely and totally and categorically and put on a, by executive order or congressional statute. Statute, all manufacturing of essential services uh, hence you know essentially um pharmaceuticals and it should be re-domiciled back to the United States of America that'll create 800,000 jobs and by the way after after 9-11 America woke up to the horrors of radical Islamic you know fundamentalism and we said wow we're not gonna take we're not gonna take this lightly after 2008 we woke up to the horrors of how banks are not properly cap- capitalized and how government lied to us for many many years yeah. and also how ruling class dynasties are not the answer After this, I sure hope that anyone who dares manufacture any product in China will be held accountable. And by the way, there should be a little window. I understand you might be over-levered on all this. Within a couple, 18 months, if you manufacture anything in China, I want nothing to do with you. Nothing to do with you. Because these people are backwards. You are going to be aligning with the greatest evil of our entire century. It's time to bankrupt them and hold them accountable. Well, you know, it's funny because... Well, no, I feel just
0: (laughs) as fiery as you do,
1: if maybe I'm not exactly on
0: board with... Every single one of the particulars. You know, one, one line in the, in the great debate among the right, you know, between the traditionalists and the, the more, you know, kind of more traditional conservatives and the more libertarian types is this question of international trade and trade with China. But it seems like this is a distinction without a difference. It's perfectly fair to say if you're the most hardcore free marketeer or if you are uh, not—you wouldn't call yourself a libertarian, you know, ever— it, it, there, there's no contradiction there to say, wait a second, China is cheating. China's our adversary. China is in many ways waging a war on us. Cut it out. We can't outsource all of our manufacturing well, to China.
1: But, but look, I, I'm a Milton Friedman guy, so let me, let, let, let me build it out for you. I, the first, the, one of the first things we know in trade is that both sides get equally rich, right? So both sides benefit from a trade. I don't want China to benefit. I want them to suffer. Yeah. Therefore, <laughs> yeah, we shouldn't yeah, trade right. with them. Right. It's that simple. They're evil. I don't want evil people to get rich. By the way, we've all been sold this lie that the more you trade with China, the more Western they're going to become. They have a million yeah, it just hasn't concentration camps. No, right. they actually become more tyrannical. They become more yeah. anti-Western. Um, and so that, I, I think that there needs to be a complete and total global recalibration. Hold them accountable. Make Xi right. Jinping pay. Xi Jinping is now in the category of evil dictators, the likes of which that I'm not going to name the names, but you guys can name the names for yourselves. That's all I have to say. You know, it's... no, Well, it's Go such ahead. a
0: good point that you're making on, on the, the previous economic argument. They said, listen, if we just build up China, if we get them really rich on Western goods and Western trade, then all of a sudden, one day they're going to sprout into a Madisonian republic. And it just hasn't happened. It's, it's this backwards view of politics that I think yes. the right wing for a long time had, which was they, they ultimately kind of accepted the premises of the left. They said, look, basically, politics is just about money. It's just about material goods. It has nothing to do with culture. It has nothing to do with eternal questions. Just give them more money. They'll become westernized. And look the, how that turned
1: out. This so, is so profound and so well put, Michael. I have to say because this is the neoliberal lie. And I'm the, I, look, I have some yeah. respect for neo, neo, neoliberalism. Of course I do. I mean, our entire western standard of living is basically built around trade, markets, private property and, you know, yeah. fair fair and free elections as fair and free as they possibly can be. But here, here's the lie that I was told for the last couple of years, especially during the Mitt Romney campaign was the more we trade with these you know these tyrants in China eventually they're all going to be wearing Levi jeans sipping Starbucks tweeting about right. how you yep. know and basically not ever, some countries actually do become more western it's not it's not that that is incorrect i mean we've seen eastern european countries that lived under the soviet bloc truly Truly, become more Westernized, like Poland. Okay, it sure, actually yeah. can happen. But have got a little more cultural every...
0: similarity, probably than uh, well. The people what's in, the you know, difference the here?
1: And I'll give you, I'll give you, you know, your whole the whole Catholic uh, thing. Some credit here. I have a lot of, I have a lot of uh, appreciation for the Catholic tradition, and they believe in God in Poland. So right. the idea of liberty is actually in their book. Yeah, the idea of being right. free from bondage. China yeah. has no idea what it means. They have a higher power. So the only power they know is Xi Jinping, or before that, Mao. They are the largest atheist tyrant tyrant or dictatorship yeah. in the history of the world. And so the more you trade with them, the more money they have, the more they're going to only play into their godless indulgences. And yeah. so I, I think the whole world needs to kind of reconsider That this whole lie that, oh, the more we trade with China, the more that they're going to become like us. And eventually they're going to be watching Family Guy, the Simpsons and drinking macchiatos and wanting to have fair and free democratic elections. It's not happening.
0: Yeah, this is the big problem. I mean, this is why culture matters. You know, it's so funny. I joked earlier that you were a conspiracy theorist, but believe it or not, I don't know if you saw this. There's a Business Insider article that actually refers to you in print, if you want to get your lawyers ready, As a conspiracy theorist, I've noticed this now on the, a lot of, all of a sudden, it's cropping up on Wikipedia, all over. The left is referring to totally mainstream right-wingers, totally mainstream ideas as conspiracy theories. And in the case uh, we mentioned uh, the Marxist dictatorship, the atheist dictatorship, there is a longstanding intellectual uh, tradition of cultural Marxism. It goes back probably to the Italian Marxist Antonio Gramsci. Gramsci.
1: Yes. It was a good accent. It you, was a pretty good you, accent. You pronounce it better than me. He wrote it from prison, though. What was the? What, what did he write from prison? What was
0: well, it? he wrote. Yeah, he wrote his letter, letters from prison, his prison diaries. Yes. He wrote a number yes. number of essays on this notion of applying Marxism to the culture, because the culture is o- yes. the only way that you're going to get the proletariat to rise up and be aware of themselves. So this has gone a long time. There are many, many thinkers who fall in this camp. They went all the way up through Herbert Marcuse and the new left in the 1960s. And all the way today, we see this in intersectionality and leftism. Anyway, it's gone on for at least 100 years. Now, if you look up cultural Marxism, all of a sudden, they will refer to even that as a conspiracy theory. And I dare say that that's a conspiracy.
1: Well, look, I, I'm not going to get into their terminology because I know what trap they want me to fall into, but I will say this. Right. I believe in facts, truth, logic, history, and and basically things you can prove, and you can prove that there has been a, a, a concerted cultural Marxist agenda that was written about in the 20s and 30s, advanced through the Frankfurt School, took over our schools in our universities um, and has tried to deconstruct it's the school of deconstructionism I mean you learn about you literally learn about this when you go oh, to yeah. some high priced institution and be trained to hate America and yeah. I mean look it's through postmodernism and Jacques there there and all these things all these different thinkers and nonsensical backwards ideas basically around the idea that there is no th- such thing as absolute truth which of course you should always respond to do you believe that absolutely and apply your own logic to your own right. thinking <laughs> right. and then, uh, if there's no such thing as absolute truth and no lo- that, that by definition cannot be absolutely true. Well, so you, know, you, you know, don't it's believe funny. your own nonsense.
0: You know what they mention? Because you mentioned the Frankfurt School, which is this group of intellectuals who came over from Frankfurt, came to America, and then went back. And they're very left-wing. And so part of the new conspiracy theory designation is they say it's anti-Semitic because the Frankfurt School thinkers were largely Jewish. And so they say, if you mention cultural Marxism, it's anti-Semitic. Yeah. What they seem to be ignoring is that the father of cultural Marxism is an Italian guy named Antonio Gramsci who is very much not Jewish. So uh, you know they they hurl these epithets around racist, sexist, bigoted whatever. And it's it's just a way, Charlie, to tell you
1: to shut up. Of course it is. No, it's it's nothing more than a suppression tactic and a an offensive tool for them to try to stop d- debate, dialogue, discourse and essentially people that might be able to garner a following to be able to actually have a platform. And uh, you see this applied in every single kind of segment of society. And, the look when the pro, there's so many problems with this. Michael is that the people that are actually hateful, bigoted, and racist then gets diluted and gets put into the group like you and yep. I. And of when course. you and I actually try to exercise, you know, extracise like you exercise demons from our ranks. Yeah. All of a sudden, <laughs> with an O. No, yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Not not exercise, but exro-size <laughs> these people. You know, you would know. Uh, we could talk about that actually in a little bit. But is the left trying? I think I know the answer. But is the left trying to loop us all together because they don't know better? or they or they, do, they, know better and they're doing it intentionally so they can just have domination, leftist domination, basically.
0: You, you know, I I'd like think. to give them the benefit of the doubt because it, it surly, surely is convenient and helpful to them to lump us in, you know, and everybody that to the right of Hillary Clinton is Hitler, and it makes them easier to shut us up. So there's a real convenience to it. But I, I do also think, in the left's defense, that they simply don't know what we believe. You know, there was that study that came out a few years ago from John Hite, who which showed that while the right generally understands the left, the left actually does not understand the right. And just anecdotally, but don't forget the plural yes. of anecdote is data. You talk to a lot of leftists, and they actually don't know what you believe. They actually don't understand the arguments that you're making. So it's obviously That's a right. little bit of both, but I, I will give them credit for their ignorance.
1: I mean, look. I think I think some leftists know better. I think leftist followers don't, and I think that the leaders do know better. They they, they know yeah. where the true hateful lines are drawn, and they yeah. know they know, but they don't even police the evil in their own ranks. In fact, they endorse and tolerate it. I mean, Linda Sarsour, who's right. an anti-Semitic, anti-Western, anti—she's a Jew hater, is what she is. Yeah. She's a an American hater, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, exactly. And then she just promoted to be what spokesman of the Comrade Sanders, you know, make make Bolsheviks great again, breadline advocate campaign or whatever. (laughs) Oh, she would go to the women's
0: march and hold hands with Gloria Steinem, the great feminist. What do the hijab and the pussy hat have in common? Very little, except they are both opposed to our sort of traditional culture.
1: Yes. And the more you study the left, the more you fight the left, like you brilliantly do. You understand that the left is not, they're not united by truth and they're not united by values because truth is not a left-wing value. And they actually don't have values. They're united by hatred. That's all they have. That's all the left has. And so you can find, for example, you can find what people believe in, what their nearest and dearest values are based on what they build alliances around. And so we as conservatives build alliances around truth and commonality and goodness and optimism and love of America, right? But the left, they build alliances around hatred. They, I mean, for example, you have the, your, Sarsour and Gloria Steinman. If you sat them in a room together and you said, what are the things that matter to you most? Sarsour would probably say implementation of Sharia law, the abolition of Israel, uh, and all sorts of crazy, you know, basic, you know, fun- fundamentalist ideas Yeah, where... Gloria Steinman would say free abortions on demand for every single woman, uh, you know, always. And basically it, it, and, shout your abortion backwards and stuff, right, right. It's, it's precisely. And so those things are at odds. And then you add into there the transgender stuff. Wh- I mean, they're, right. they're totally at odds with each other. But right. what they have in common is that we're bad. They have in yeah. common that the conservatives and the Americans and people that want to preserve the Western civilization, the geochristian ethic, they want to destroy us. They want to silence us. They're united by their hatred. That's what drives the left.
0: Right. Well, you know, though, I, I will say in a, a word of defense in the politics of opposition, you know, very often having a common foe does bring disparate groups together. So it, it like it's a strange thing, right, on the right, that there are people who are trad catholic social conservative guys who wear suits and ties to church every sunday and then they and have like 15 kids and they're 25 years old i don't even know how that's possible and then there're also guys who are atheist homosexual libertarian you know socially liberal whatever and yet they they do have a coherent coalition because the common foe right yes. now for both of them is this woke leftist culture which is yes. trying to silence both of them
1: I think the difference though, Michael, and I, I, I anticipated that counter argument from you or for someone listening to this. I would say the difference though is that person that might have be totally different than the, the, the Catholic going Latin mass ceremony yeah. attending like you, um yeah. that you know wears a three piece suit and recites the rosary backwards in you know original <laughs> ar- Aramaic. Um or what, whatever <laughs> you know, I gotta I gotta whatever. work on my Aramaic, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was the language that Jesus spoke. Um That's true. That's but true. The difference is that they actually have a love for America. That's what really unites yeah, them. And right. the lef- right. they consider the left, if you go a level deeper, the left yeah. is the greatest threat to that love, though. Yes, Whereas that's the, certainly the, left, the left. The left The left doesn't have the love for the country, and all they have is the hatred. The, all they have is, uh, at the most elemental core of their alliances between yeah. the transgender deconstructionists and the Gloria Steinman feminists and the Linda Sarsour Islamic fundamentalists, is yeah. that they actually don't have a commonality of what they want to exist. The commonality between your um, somewhat accurate depiction that you have the atheist you know, and the Catholic three-piece going Latin mass ceremony attending an individual like yourself building a coalition is that if you actually break it down, they actually want an America that has markets and private property and constitutional yeah, rights. Yeah, very similar and then they like find it. agreement that the left is the greatest threat to those things.
0: Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's absolutely right. And it's so much Uh, You know, it's not just us uh, Latin mass going Catholics here. It's also evangelicals, evangelicals being the most reliably conservative voter base. And I know you're doing a ton of work in that area with your uh, with the Falkirk Center. And uh, what do you what do you see moving forward? I mean, do you think that we're going to have a kind of Christian resurgence in America or are we we going to to
1: fall apart? We have to. we have to, and I, I have so much respect for my Catholic friends, and you know I, I, I'm always kidding yeah. when I say these, th- you know, uh, and we have fun. And I actually do have some ser- very serious Catholic theological questions at the end of this. All right, lay well, them on, on me. I'm ready. I, w- I, I would love to have you answer, and they're corona-related. Um, but so, <laughs> no, but look, the, the coalition of belief in a higher power and what you're willing to do about it, and what yep. do, especially for us Christians and I think it's nonsense when people say Catholics aren't Christians. That's garbage. I just want yeah. to say that as an evangelical. And by the way, I have people that email that all the time, like, Charlie, you have to stop calling Catholics Christians. Look, my grandmother <laughs> was a practicing my grandmother was a practicing Roman Catholic. She believed Jesus Christ was king of the world, and yeah. we might have disagreed on sacraments and disagreed on certain papal authority, but Catholics that believe Jesus is king of the world, you're a Christian, yeah. and you believe he's a savior of the world. It's nonsense when people say anything different. So I just want to get that out of the way. But for those of us that believe that Jesus Christ is king and savior of the world and the son of God we there's a huge problem happening right now in Christendom where there's this allegedly woke leftist marxist garbage ideology that is coming through the church right now that yeah. is that is saying that oh Jesus was a socialist that we need to have oh, more left wing oh, social activism yeah. and I, by the way i will i I will now criticize both the Catholic tradition and i will criticize, you know, evangelicalism where in evangelicalism you have this happening a lot of mega churches and a lot of the kind of new age churches churches especially with bigger populations and especially in Methodist and Episcopalian and Presbyterian traditions. Now on the on the on, in the Catholic Catholic social teaching should not should not quote-unquote Trump no pun intended the Bible. It just shouldn't. Catholic social teaching yeah. can be can be helpful. It can be supplemental. But when I hear people talk more about Catholic social teaching than I do the actual Bible, I get really, really angry. about And that. and very and I, often, I think,
0: what they're talking about is their SJW social teaching, sort of masquerading as the traditional yes, view of the Church.
1: Yes, that's right. That's right. And so the, the the here's what here's what needs to happen, though, is that we as Christians need to realize the most important thing in the history of the world is accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The most important thing. The second most important thing is making sure you can do the first thing. Yeah. And so what. <laughs> Seriously, and the second and the second thing is protecting religious liberty, fighting yeah. the left, which is the greatest threat to Christianity in the history of the world. I make the argument that God gives his people blessings and gifts. America is one of those gifts. God gave us this gift. And so yeah. we have to ask ourselves the question, what are we as Christians? Are we acknowledging it? Are we defending it? Are we strengthening it? Or are we trying to save it? And most Christians, unfortunately, don't even vote. And uh, and a lot of Christians vote incorrectly. Too many Catholics vote incorrectly, and you and I have talked about this in the past. But the real Latin mass-attending Catholics that get deep into the liturgy and get deep into the traditions of Catholic Church, they actually tend to be very conservative. Well, because I, you
0: know why? A, I mean, this is a point for any any like wishy-washy Catholics out there. I think a lot of people, because Catholics vote 50-50, Democrat, Republican, I think they, they are not paying enough attention. And maybe it's because their priests and bishops aren't uh, directing them to pay that kind of attention. But the Catholic Church has spoken pretty clearly about, for instance, abortion. When there is an option, you cannot vote for a politician who supports abortion. Totally. But even socialism, you know, there, there are popes. I know now it's a little confusing, but popes, especially a 100 or so years ago, I, I'm thinking of Leo XIII, wrote beautifully against socialism, said it was a mm. wicked confederacy, said it was a plague, a pest that st- steals the very gospel itself. No Catholic can vote for socialism. It says so John right Paul in the II Catechism of phenomenal. the Catholic Church. Yep, John, John Paul II. Paul.
1: John Paul II was the was the quiet anti-Marxist, not so quiet at times. The Polish Pope who helped bring who brought down the Soviet Union through Uh private prayer and through direct teachings of. Was it the second? Was it the second? Vet? You would know this better than I, but he, wrote well, he, well, he, would, well,
0: he, he actually would frequently quote the pope that I just mentioned, Pope Leo Thirteenth. He wrote uh, 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 Pope John Paul II wrote a great encyclical called Centesimus Annus, uh, in which he says free markets are the most efficient means of allocating resources. You know, it's coming and, and back how to how far
1: we've come. Yeah. Right. And now we have right. A current problem. A current pope. Uh, who uh, is very misguided on economics and very misguided on the value of private property, uh, and that's and confusing uh, again, and
0: confusing about it.
1: Yeah, and contradictory. And so, so look, here's what needs to: ha- for Christians out there, we have to be active. And look in 1st Timothy it says that you should pray for your leaders for for peaceable and essentially it says for peaceable lives essentially and and the direct translation back to the the letter that Paul was writing to to young Timothy who was try, he was basically mentoring was that you got to know who your leaders names are you got to pray, pray 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 for them by name and get engaged and involved you know have many Christians complain about how the culture is degrading and they don't know their school board members you right. know how many Christians? Are, <laughs> you, no, seriously, and and here's what's happening, Michael, and it's so exciting is that I actually think that our political. Um our, the, the political sense that we're making. When you and I, our podcast growth, uh, and your podcast yeah. is terrific by the way, I love listening to oh, it. Thank you. And your, your, your speeches and what you're doing is actually pointing people back to Christ. So the church has gotten really wrong the last 20 years. Well, Not not really wrong, I shouldn't say that. I'm talking about more evangelicalism and you could supplement this in Catholicism as you see fit. But c- Christianity has had this misguided notion over the last right. couple decades we got to stay out of politics. Politics is impure. Just focus on the church just focus on gospel building i'm all for gospel building i'm all for the church however if you ignore the idea in galatians 3 that the law is a school teacher to christ what is the law standing for truth, standing for civil society, standing for the order. Remember the law originally in the Old Testament was a law for the people, was a civil society. Aristotle taught, taught us that politics is the ultimate form of community. And the absence of politics, the absence of community is also saying the absence of the law. And so what we did is, the, what we're doing, Michael, I'm sure you see this, you're getting messages, I'm sure, I know you are, emails and text messages, Charlie, Michael, thanks to you guys, I'm now going to church. Thanks to you guys, yeah, I now it's great. believe uh, it's in great. God. Right? But we don't always talk about the gospel. We talk about it, but we also talk about other things. Why when people hear things that make sense, when they hear people taking stance on difficult issues mm. in civics and politics and culture, they want to know what the origination of that is, and they want to know what the furthest extent of that is and in Galatians three, the letter to the people of Galat- you know, in Galatians. Paul was saying, you can use the law as a school teacher to Jesus, and that's what's happening now. And the church has to learn from that. The church can grow. The kingdom of Jesus Christ can grow. The more we get involved in civics, the more we get involved in politics, not the lie that the church taught us the last couple decades.
0: Well, yeah, you know, I mean, this is something that the left has always used. They've said, you've got to get your religion out of schools, and they started doing this in the the middle of the 20th century. Well, it's nonsense because they don't get their religion out of schools. They have the religion of secular liberalism, capital S, capital Capital L with the great cardinal virtues of tolerance, capital T, diversity, capital D, right? They're, they're, I mean, and now their own gender theory, which is actually just a new form of Gnostic dualism, an ancient discredited religion. And yes. so, the, yes. you know, the, if they get to keep their religion in schools, perhaps it would help us to, and I'm just, this is just a modest suggestion, maybe we allow students to read the Bible in schools. You know, the most well, important I, book ever I, written that the whole culture is based I, on?
1: I, I go a little bit further. I say that no—I no, no. no I mean, I've said this publicly, so who cares? But every no, no school should get federal government money unless they require the Bible to be taught in schools. I mean, <laughs> That's it's, a great, it's, it's that simple. i I'm in. Sign me no. up. <laughs> no, but, here, and, and so, but here's the thing. First of all, you're so spot on, Michael. Leftism is a religion, okay? It absolutely yeah. is a religion. Number two, if you don't teach the Bible, you're just— you're now allowing your religion to censor another religion because the Bible right, exists. And- whether the, whether you like it or not, it exists. It's a historical document as, as much as a religious document. So but not
0: only it. does it exist, our, our entire culture is based on it. So, the, the, I mean, just, e- Even if you don't believe in it as a religious text, there's, you can't understand Shakespeare if you don't read the Bible. You can't understand Dostoevsky if you don't read the Bible. You can't understand the entire Victor history of Frankel. the West. If, exactly. You don't. You can't understand Viktor Frankl. You can't understand any of these things. So we're teaching everybody that these kind of moments of our culture without the foundation of it.
1: Right. And so the, and this, this is evidenced by countries that do not have the Judeo-Christian construct and do not have the Bible as a North Star and the inspiration of its leadership or its founding documents or of its governance or, most importantly, its people. They struggle with this idea of liberty. Some of them are able to do it in some managed yeah. form, but over time they struggle with it. And this is look the greatest example of this is you're going to see India struggle with the idea of personal liberty, and I I love the country of India. It's a great experiment of free markets and private property. They lifted more people out of poverty than any other country. But still, the caste system is very much built into the ethos and built into the structure of their society. It just is, and and. The reason why America was different, fundamentally, and we don't talk about this, is Jesus was the great liberator. Well, liberty is built into the idea of freedom from bondage and freedom itself. Jesus wanted us to prosper and to be able to multiply and to be able to adhere to, first and foremost, his kingdom. But when you build a society around the idea of religious liberty, understand you just can't pick and choose your liberties. If you have religious liberty, you have economic liberty and personal liberty, all these different types of liberties. Well, all of a sudden, you're going to have prosperity, and so if you all of a sudden remove those books and those texts and just act as if oh yeah we just stumbled upon this liberty thing it's the norm you're <laughs> yeah, going to have the right. absence came up with of it, that yeah, yeah right yeah, yeah, that's exactly. right Precisely. Yeah, we're,
0: stand, we're standing on the shoulders of giants, and we think we're flying. I mean, that's, that's the real threat here. And so I think it's great. I mean, I, I'm just so pleased that you, you know, work, work on this, and you talk about this, and you're pushing it through the Falkirk Center. It, the Falkirk it's very Center Important. for
1: Faith and Liberty at Liberty University. We want to get you involved with that, Michael. You'll, you would love that. You would be oh, it so sounds we're very, great. We're, we are ecumenical, to use a nice <laughs> word that I have not used yet today. I have not used the word ecumenical. If you don't know what it means, look it up.
0: Well speaking so, of you you mentioned that you wanted me to weigh in from my my vast well, so, uh, so here, poor, yeah, poorly I, formed I, knowledge of the uh, Catholic tradition well, to try I to would, answer some of your
1: questions. I wouldn't say it's poorly formed but I do have a legitimate question. So how how is it that the the government edicts are shutting down Catholic churches? How how are Catholics processing because I saw a specific Article where priests were encouraging Catholics to not go to confession but go to straight to God, isn't that the whole yeah, argument yeah. that we, as, as evangelicals and Protestants, have been making that the practice of confession is better done just to God, and that this might actually be an exercise in the invalidation of going through a priest for confession?
0: No, I don't think so. You'll be surprised to hear that I think that. Uh, but yeah, it, but sure. it, it does, it, it does help to clarify the sacrament of confession because you're right. You know, I think a lot of especially Protestants, but maybe a lot of Catholics, don't understand what a confession is. You cannot confess unless you first confess to God, unless you first have a direct form of confession. Now, if in, in this case, the that sacrament of confession, point. right, so that people kind point. of forget that part. So, you know, especially now where the sacrament of confession is closed off to people in most of the country and in, in Italy and elsewhere, uh, what you do is you can make an act of perfect contrition. So you confess your sins to God, you you express and pray your, your sorrow, your repentance for that, and you make a, a vow that you will go to confession as soon as you can. The reason for the sacrament of confession comes from a commission that Christ gave to the apostles, which is, he, he says, here are the keys to the kingdom of heaven. What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He, he breathes on the apostles, he gives them the Holy Spirit, and he says you have the power to forgive sins. Whose sins you forgive are forgiven, and then crucially, whose sins you retain are retained. So it's not even like it's a sort of I would never accuse our Lord of speaking in a platitudinous way, but here it's so clear that there's nothing platitudinous about it. This is a real power that is given by Christ to his apostles and therefore to his church. And so we, we confess our sins to God, we apologize, and this moment we make an act of perfect contrition. But then we go there because Christ did institute real people. And, you know, one thing that, if, if people are trying to make sense of the sacraments, one way to think of it is that they're incarnational right there in the flesh. You can't just do it over a Zoom meeting. You can't just like go to e-mass or something. Maybe you try to and you have a spiritual communion during times of pandemic, but you got to do the real thing. And the reason for that is that Christ himself is incarnational, right? In literally in the incarnation, the the divine logic of the universe takes on flesh, becomes man, and dwells among us. And so that's that relationship between the physical world and the metaphysical world that come together in the sacraments.
1: So, uh, yeah, that's a deeper discussion for a different time. I guess connecting with the corona side of it, though, why am I not seeing more Catholics push back against the idea that you can't get the Eucharist during this time? Wouldn't you make the argument you need the Eucharist now more than ever? Thank you.
0: Thank you so much. You know, the trouble, you mentioned earlier, Charlie, that there are government mandates that are preventing the Catholic churches from opening. And that's true in some places. Bill de Blasio is threatening to permanently close churches. But the, the trouble for us is it was the bishops who made the decision to close the parishes. It was, it was not the government initially, it was the bishops. And so you've had some people in the church hierarchy speaking out against this specifically wonderful cardinals Cardinal Burke and Cardinal Schneider saying people need the Eucharist we need the body of Christ we need we need mass we need the highest form of prayer now more than ever and yet unfortunately Uh, you have other leaders of the church who have uh, been more reticent. Now, are they making a Look, prudence is a virtue. They're obviously making a prudential judgment here to say we need to protect public health by closing the masses. But it seems to me there would be so many other ways to keep the mass open, to keep the sacraments coming, to keep the Eucharist available and still protect public health.
1: And I I just think that as a Protestant looking at this from the outside, I think it cheapens the argument, to be perfectly honest with you, Michael, that Catholics yeah. <laughs> always make about the importance of the Eucharist. Yeah, it's send, it sends th- the wrong myself, message. Well, I'm like, okay, so we're cool with Home Depot being open as an essential good, but the body of Christ, not so much. <laughs> That's right. You can go to Walgreens, but you can't go and right? uh, and participate in so, the highest
0: form of prayer and receive your Lord.
1: Yeah, so my my feedback is, and I, I'm sure you agree with this, is you and I have tussled about the Eucharist many times, and those those will continue for many years. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, i'm not getting into that I'm just saying, as someone who has been open minded yet not convinced yeah. that the Eucharist is what you say it is and what Catholics say it is, yeah. I just am kind of saying this cheapens your argument and sets you guys back a long time for those Protestants that are trying to see it from your perspective it's because, it's even worse
0: it's i mean you're you're totally on the right trail it's even worse than that though because in in recent years. Because of liturgical abuses, let's call them, ways in which the Eucharist is not treated with the same reverence that it was treated in years past and that it should be treated, all of a sudden you've got a situation where the majority of American Catholics, according to a poll, don't believe that Christ is really present in the Eucharist. That's the definition of the Eucharist. If you don't believe in that, what do you believe in? So I agree that this cheapens the argument. Unfortunately, though, I think the argument's been cheapened now for decades.
1: Yeah, well that that's a fair point. So Michael in a couple minutes or a couple seconds we got remaining. I know that, you know, we're both uh, got very busy schedules. You said you're writing a book, anything you're able to announce yet or I am writing a book. It has to do with uh, one of the topics that we discussed
0: today. It has to do uh, the the only part I'll I'll bring out now is it has to do specifically with the importance of culture, attacks on our culture, uh, the way we think and the way we talk. I'll leave it there for right now. And it turns out, Charlie, I know you've written a book with words in it. This is my first book with words in it. Much yes. harder to when write a book with words than a book without did words. You,
1: did, did you make bestseller on that other one, by the way? Or... I
0: did. I was a number one bestseller. But, you know, the New York Times snubbed me. Uh, I heard not only did your book sell very well, it got an endorsement from, I believe, the leader of the free
1: world. That is correct. And we made the New York <laughs> Times list for two years in a row. So we did not get snubbed. Praise God. That's so, pretty good. Uh, well, congratulations yeah, I could write, on that. It's a great I, I could, book. I could, write a, I could write a book on how to promote a book, but I'm not going to do that. So <laughs> you, um, I'll take the advice when the time yeah, comes. Anytime. But, uh, Michael, this has been great. we got to continue to do this, but... Uh, in uh, in closing uh, this is you know this is a very trying time for our country and you know your voice is such an important one and i look forward well, to it well right to back at you me.
0: charlie and stay safe out there in your quarantine i hope that you enjoy like at least 4 days of relaxation probably more than you've had in uh, 7 or 8 years and uh, you know then we can get back into it when this is all over
1: yeah they're, they're talking june now so i don't know how i'm going to make <laughs> i don't know how i'm going to rea- relax for the next 75 days oh, or whatever no but, <laughs> we'll try our best. So, all right, Michael, God bless you. See you soon. Mate. All right, you too, Charlie. Thanks very much. What a great conversation that was with Michael knows. We have another fire episode coming up tomorrow, guys. You are not going to want to miss it. So email us, freedom at charliekirk.com, freedom at charliekirk.com. Your questions, comments, feedback, you name it, and make sure you guys are subscribed to The Charlie Kirk Show. Type in Charlie Kirk Show, your podcast provider. Hit subscribe. And finally, if you want to get involved with the most important organization in the country fighting for freedom and liberty, on college campuses across the country, but fighting virtually right now, go to tpusa.com. That's tpusa.com. Thanks so much, everybody. Email us, freedom at freedomatcharliekirk.com. God bless. From the creators of Cold Case Files and PD Stories come the next great true crime podcast, I Survived. Every week, I Survived presents chilling first-person accounts from people who overcame deadly situations, allowing the survivors to describe the events as they unfolded and how they made it out alive. If you love true crime, you are going to love I Survived. Be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, and many other podcast apps so you can get new episodes every week. We begin today's
0: meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long
1: way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees,